Welcome to Hustle Up's The Big Break, where we talk to showrunners, directors, executives, and other talented people working in the entertainment industry about how they got their start and what they've done to fast forward their creative careers. I'm H. Schuster, the founder and CEO of Hustle Up. Today, I'm chatting with Stephanie Noonan-Drakovich, co-founder and co-CEO of Peabody, Emmy, Gracie, and GLAAD award-winning nonfiction company, 44 Blue Productions, which is also a Hustle Up partner. Join us for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Stephanie Noonan-Drakovich oversees 44 Blue's development team, and with co-CEO and co-founder Rasha Drakovich, who's also her husband, she executive produces multiple series, including Netflix Life After Death with Tyler Henry, Discovery Plus award-winning limited series Last Chance Transplant, and Oxygen's true crime franchise Real Murders of Orange County and Real Murders of Atlanta. Stephanie and Rasha have built 44 Blue's reputation for authentic storytelling, access-driven series, and A-list relationships, evident in series like Netflix, breakout hit Jailbirds, Snap's award-winning Coming Out, produced in association with Chloe Grace Moretz, Nightwatch and First Responders Live, both produced with Dick Wolf, Emmy-nominated Wahlburgers, produced with Mark Wahlberg, Glad award-winning Strut, and ID's Twisted Sisters and Twisted Love, produced with Chloe Kardashian. She's also led the company's development for first-run syndication, including Emmy-nominated Family Court with Judge Penny. And her previous stints include SVP of development for Warner Brothers Telepictures and Disney's Buena Vista TV, where Stephanie developed for primetime broadcast and syndication. Okay, so many great shows. Forget the podcast. I just want to go sit in front of my on-demand right now and watch a bunch of shows. Uh, welcome, Stephanie Nunadrakovich, and thank you so much for spending uh, your time with us today. Thank you, H. Like a little applause. <laughs> I love a little applause. Can can you like do that every day? Can I get that little button so that I can like get all of that self like uh, you know validation during There's the day? Nothing wrong with a little a little uh, a little applause to start our day off, right? Uh, uh, the gym and then some applause. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us. You know, Forty Four Blue, I think, launched in like 1984, right? When reality TV. Did it exist? I don't know. It, it existed in some form. I think the company started out doing like wacky world of sports stuff, right? And then- Good research, H. Right? I mean, I'm going back in time. I was around in 1984. I, I, I have to admit it. I have to admit it. Uh, tell us a little bit though about how the company has evolved over the years since its founding and, and how you guys kind of uh, grew as the genres of unscripted and, and documentary grew. Um, you know, that's a great way of putting it because that's kind of how I always think about it is that we've had to evolve as the genres have evolved because actually in 1984, when we launched, the word reality wasn't even really being used yet. Um, At least not the relationship to TV, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, it would be used like reality check in the old school way. Right. But um, yeah, when we launched, it was kind of like, you know, the only places to do what we now call reality or unscripted or nonfiction were in first run syndication, you know, in like the talk show world, you know, there was that, that world, um, you know, kind of news and documentaries. And yeah, we launched um, with a syndicated sports show that um, actually, from what I hear, one can still find in the strangest of places like cruise ships and hotels in like the Eastern Bloc. Um, Rasha and I are actually in it, in some of the skits. Wow. And I hope you guys are getting residuals from the Eastern Bloc and the cruise ships. <laughs> It's so early. Literally, we'll, we'll randomly like get an email from someone, you know, like be like, oh, wow, I was on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean and I saw you guys like from 1980, whatever. It's like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing that those shows are still out there. But anyway, yes, we have actually we have um, been fortunate enough to um, evolve and as the genres have evolved and as the business has, the industry has expanded. You know, when we started, it, I mean, we still remember when, um, you know, this new network discovery started because we were their first co-production deal um, where um, we did a show for them and they were like, gee, how should we do this? How about we pay for it? And you guys will split the back end 50, 50. And Rasha and I were like, yeah, that sounds great. And we always try to reference that deal now with discovery. Exactly. Try <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't today, work. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Rasha was cleaning out, you know, doing his pandemic cleaning, like all of us have done, right. You know, the past two years and cleaning out file boxes and found a letter, old school letter typewritten 
from, I can't remember who it was from, but it was somebody introducing a new network called the history channel. Wow. Um, so that's how long we've been around. So yes, we have been really fortunate, I think, to be able to evolve as the genres have evolved and um, hopefully continue to do, to do so. We never want to stop evolving. And that's really a credit to our team and, you know, just the, I don't know, the kind of, I think, finger on the pulse and um, kind of commitment to passion and, and wanting to tell those stories that make a difference. And so those stories hopefully will never go out of fashion. You know, there, those, there will always be a place for those stories. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we have been able to do it. And you guys have had a lot of series that have run for many seasons, right? And and so how sure. important is it for uh, an independent production company in particular, mm-hmm. where when you know you guys were independent, when a lot of these series were, were were quite successful, how important is it for an independent company to find that that kind of juggernaut that goes for a lot of episodes? It is everything. It's everything because it takes you almost, I would say probably every single unscripted production company that exists today exists because of that first show, that show that launched them, that got more than one season. And then suddenly they were like, oh, wow, we think we can do this. Okay, now what? And that platform, the sort of foundational shows allow you to build an infrastructure and create a team. And then from that team, start to think of other ideas and other shows to build on because it's very, I would say it's very rare for a company to be able to exist off of only one show, unless obviously, I mean, it's such a huge show and there's been so many seasons and there's so many seasons per year, but um, yeah, someone very wise years ago, I remember saying to me and Rasha, um, he was, uh, had been part of a production company himself. And at the time when we met him, the company had dissolved. But he said, you know what, we always admired you guys for, not only were you able to sell shows, you were able to get them picked up and stay in business with the networks that you sold to. And you know, I'd never thought of it that way, really. The pickup part, absolutely, yes, you wanna get to, it's hard enough to get to season one, then you gotta work on getting to season two and beyond. But also making it a positive enough of enough experience for the network as their partner that they also want to work with you again and they trust you to continue with the show. So, um, you know, when when he shared that observation with with the two of us, I think it really struck both of us like, oh, yeah, it's not just about the show, the show, the show. It's about the relationship and the trust factor. So we've, again, have been very fortunate to have great partners along the way, great network partners, network execs um, who, you know, have just been able to, um, you know, empower us, but also be good partners, you know, hear us, listen, but also collaborate and give great input to result in those long running series. So that's really important. You know, I think, I think you're right. Like the relationship and, and, and networks and buyers trusting you that you're going to make a great show, right? There Mm -hmm. are producers out there that can sell, 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 right? They always have a slate of sold development. Um, but then being able to produce a great show and like you said, make it a great experience for the network is, is really important. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, you guys have produced, you know, shows in cable, broadcast, syndication, streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, how do you guys work together as a couple, as a husband and wife? Like, first of all, what made you guys decide to go into business together? We always laugh and go, what, what were we thinking? Um, <laughs> we actually started the company before we were even married. So talk about like, you know, like ebullient optimism, right? Um, it worked out. Um, you know, we, I think part of what's made it work, I mean, when we first started it, started the company, it wasn't big enough to support both of us. So I stayed in kind of quote, the private sector list here, you know, I, like I was the, I brought home the corporate check. And so that, that's a big reason why I continued as a studio exec for a long time. I mean, I was a studio exec for nearly 15 years between my stints at Disney and group W and then Disney again and Warner brothers. So what was great is we looked at it as a partnership. Like I would be the one who got that steady paycheck and the benefits. And, you know, we were, we had a young family at the time. So, you know, we knew that there was sort of that, you know, that security, although not that a studio job secure, by the way, but um, (laughs) I I went through many, many bosses and many mergers. So, you know, it's not like that's the most secure world, but certainly it, um, it gave Rasha the opportunity to grow the company and for us as a couple and a family to weather those ups and downs. Yeah. Um, but we're both very proud to say that 
38 years in, we have had a show on the air every year for all 38 of those That's years. Amazing. At least one show, if not more. Where's and my applause button? There's my applause button. <laughs> Exactly. And if Rasha were, were here right now, he would also say, and we made payroll every Friday. Right. So the way that, you know, I rejoined the company in 2003 and um, I had finished at, at Warner Brothers and, you know, was kind of looking at like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to another studio job or a network job, like, because that's what I've been doing. And, um, but I wasn't really feeling it. I was feeling like, okay, I've kind of done this now. Yeah. I've done five studio jobs in a row. Um, and each of them was unique and amazing and all part of like, you know, a, amazing experiences. And I learned from every single one of them. Sure. Um, Rosh is the one who said, well, before you go off and just do another studio job, you know, why don't you come back and take a look at what we've done with the place? You know, like <laughs> come back, I'll give you an office. You can hang your hat. And it was the summer. And he said, you know, use our office to just kind of decide what you want to do next, but maybe return to producing. And so I came back in 2003. And what we decided to do was, um, you know, he already at that point had been running the company for, I don't know, 15 years or something. We, we were quite successful. He had multiple series on the air. Um, he was, he was, you know, it was the beginning of the era where you brought in showrunners. Yeah. So he was overseeing every single one of the shows and watching every cut, but we were starting to bring in people, you know, senior level people to help with the yeah. shows as well, what, what's now become showrunner. But we thought like, okay, it's not probably not going to work if we both EP everything. We don't really need to. And I had a certain um, lane of expertise and experience that was different from Rasha's. Yeah. So he is, he's the one who suggested like, why don't you run with the world that you know? I'll keep running with the world that I know that I've built the company up with. So the way that we look at it today, fast forward, we run the company together, but we each EP separate slates. Yeah. Um, so that we're not bumping into each other. Um, people aren't getting, hopefully aren't getting conflicting notes, you know, like, you know, like any partnership EPs, whether you're married or not, it can even be people who aren't, you know, spouses or significant others. Whereas like, oh, well, I got notes from so-and-so, but then, you know, so-and-so's notes came in and they contradict. So we never have that. Um, and he's really developed, um, you know, such great relationships and some, some genres and verticals that really he's way better at. And that's his like, you know, his superpower. And then I've done the same in other genres and verticals. So that's how we've done it. And then because I had been in development, we decided as, and again, when we were smaller, that I would, my main role at the company would be to oversee development. Right. And so that's pretty much continued over the last couple of years, or even though we've brought in senior level people to run that team, it's still kind of my I, that's like my responsibility in a sense, like, okay, I'm the one who kind of oversees that and makes sure that we're in good shape. And it allows Russia to focus on a lot of the big ticket um, series that we're doing. So that's how we right. kind of divided it. That's great. So, yeah. All right. Now I have to ask you of all the shows on Russia's slate, what's been your favorite? What's been your favorite oh. Russia EP oh. show? Oh, oh my God. That's, that's a hard one, but also an easy one in a sense. The first one that came to mind was Jailbirds on Netflix. Yep. Jailbirds, I just was blown away by. Um, that was an amazing team that produced it. Um, it, it, it really just took those that type of storytelling to the next level. Um, but I also just really love the the I love what Nightwatch is and what it represents and the stories that it tells and um, and being able to capture those stories of heroes and first responders. But also, I've got such admiration for the team that that executes that show and goes into the field to do it. Right. So probably those two yeah. would be, you would be first um, uh, top of mind. And then Wahlburgers. I mean, please, he got to have the time of his life doing Wahlburgers. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah. I think everybody had the yeah. time of their life doing Wahlburgers. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lily used to always tell me about her, her fun times visiting set. That, that was like, I think her favorite show to visit. So exactly exactly so yeah so i would say you know rasha gets to work on some great shows he does um you know he oversees all of our um collaborations with dick wolf and again those are super super hard shows to do yeah. but such a great feeling of um satisfaction and um i don't know a great feeling of like wow we just did that you know when we when we finish an episode and, and they get on the air because we just feel like it's like such strong storytelling you know make awesome. makes the world a better place afterward that's, that's right you want to you want to feel like you're contributing place. something yeah. right yeah so i'm, I'm going to take you back in time then because you know 
obviously you and Rasha started 44 Blue, uh, you know, early before you were married. I have to ask you because it's, you know, it's the name of our show. Uh, what was your big break moment? Like, how did you first find your way into the TV business? Oh, that's a great question. You're right. That is the name of the show. Um, <laughs> um, and actually, I did a show called Your Big Break with Dick Clark. There you um, go. <laughs> Okay, but my, my big break, that's a great question. I've never thought of it that way. My big break was probably Margie, Margie Boulay, who is the host, co-host of AM Northwest in Portland, Oregon on Channel 2, the ABC affiliate. I was a probably rising senior at University of Oregon. I had been handed the um, 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 chairmanship, I guess you would call it, of uh, the local women in communications chapter by Ann Curry um, before she became Ann Curry. She had been the president before me. She was graduating. I got voted in. She handed me her big fat notebook and said, you're in charge now. And part of what we did as as a women in communications chapter was um, monthly um, events. And you know, where you would book a panel of people who had interesting careers, right? Like career career uh, uh, panels. So basically, I started to book panels of people whose jobs I thought sounded really interesting and who I'd want to work for. And um, the panel, <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, what what do I want to be when I grow up? And so I've been I'm a magazine. You, I'm hoping I'm going to get a job on the other end of this. I'm. <laughs> I had always wanted to be, I was actually a magazine journalism major. So I had great designs of you know, being the editor of Esquire. That was my Very career cool. goal. I wanted to be the editor of Esquire and work with writers like Hunter S. Thompson and Tom Wolfe and E. Jean Carroll. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in New York running Esquire. Okay, you know and what's so crazy is that that's what I wanted to do too. Seriously? Okay. Seriously. Like went to NYU right, just journalism was like all about like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in New York writing for Esquire and Paris Review yeah. and all the all the yes. publications. Yeah, that was it. And so this panel I put together, I remember had like the editor of Oregon Magazine, the editor of Willamette Week, which was this sort of rebel independent newspaper in Portland, some third person I don't remember anymore. And then Margie, who was the co-host of AM Northwest. And the reason I picked her is I grew up loving the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yep. I love the WJM newsroom. I love what she did. I was super curious about, okay, that's like television and news is kind of like what I like to do, but it's on television. So I had Margie as a panelist after it was the panel was over. The light bulb went off on my head. Like, okay, I've been in magazine journalism where I have to write 5,000 word pieces or 10,000 word pieces or whatever. What Margie does is sort of the same process. I'm like, I'm coming up with an idea. I'm researching it. I'm pitching it to an editor. I'm pitching it to her. I have to figure out how to tell the story, but I'm not sitting down and writing 5,000 words. Instead, I'm giving her the research and she's presenting it on live television. Right. So I asked her if I could be an intern. She said, we've never had an intern before, so you'll be our first. (laughs) And I became an intern. And from there, I got my first job offer. And so that's where I'd have to say she gave me my first big break. Wow. And, and did she, was the job offer working for her, like uh, in a paper? It was, yes. That's so cool. So what happened was to be a production assistant on AM Northwest in Portland, Oregon. And the head of the station at the time was um, Chuck Gingold, who went on to run, uh, oh God, what did he run for Discovery? I think he ran TLC or something in the early, early years. Yeah. Um, but Chuck brought me in, um, said, I have a job to offer you. And there was this old, it was this thing that they used to say back then that I think was taken from the creator of Evening Magazine. He used to say this, right now there's a 747 circling Portland, Oregon, filled with people who would do this job for free. (laughs) Do you want the job? And that's, they're thinking like, that's what's going to, you know, back, but that worked back then. Real real motivational words, right? (laughs) Yes, I'll do it for free. Um, And I turned him down at first because I was like, nope, I want to, because I still was a quarter away from graduation. I wanted to work in magazines. And I was like, nope, I don't want to work in television. It's so superficial. It's been fun, but I want to go back to New York in the magazine world. And he's like, are you sure you're going to turn down a job in television? And all my friends were the same. I'm like, Steph, are you going to turn down a job in television? A job of any kind, really. And so I ended up taking it at $750 a month. Woo! <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Margie and Chuck really were the ones that um, got me into Channel Two, and then um, you know, and then I went and continued on a local television and a couple different stations from there. 
That's really interesting, right? Because I think so many times you hear a story of how somebody broke in and there's so much serendipity in it, right? Like I was waiting tables at Craig's and Steven Spielberg happened to walk into my section and I handed him my script and woo, you know, and, and I think like, you know, then the other, the flip side of that is all of the hard work and the strategizing and the networking that goes into like getting yourself to an opportunity, right? Which it sounds like so much of what you're saying is, is that you really try to pull levers to make sure that you were meeting the right people and then able to generate those opportunities saying, Hey, I'll intern for you or, Hey, I'll do this. Right. I'll take the seven fifty a month. Right. Um, and, and that's really interesting. I'm curious, what was it like being a woman? You mentioned Mary Tyler Moore, right? My, my daughter, my, my uh, senior in high school, just, we just introduced her to the Mary Tyler Moore show and she's loving it. It's really interesting. We're watching it. I haven't watched it in years and it really holds up actually. It's remarkable. Uh, Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, like, what was it like being a woman breaking into local TV when you were doing it? Oh, wow. Well, interesting. The morning show world, what I learned, because I was on AM Northwest in Portland, Oregon, then I went to AM Philadelphia, at WPVI in Philadelphia, and then I went across the street to what became the Jane Whitney show at WCAU. So I worked, oh, and then I went back to Cron in San Francisco to what at the time was, what was it called? Thank God it's for TGI four and then Bay City Limits. Which interestingly course, enough, was also the, the the network, the channel number. TJ, right? exactly, yeah. it was a channel four. So I did local daytime tele, uh, live talk in four different markets. Women, I think that they, they there were a lot of women. I had a lot of women role models. My very first executive producer in Portland, Oregon, was Lynn Bowler, a mother of two. Um, the associate producer was, uh, a woman, um, the entire staff actually was female, except for the director in, uh, port in, uh, Philadelphia, all female staff in the second, my second, uh, show in Philadelphia, all female staff. And in San Francisco, we had some men, but again, I was running the show as an EP. Um, so it was interesting in that world. I didn't feel any like, oh, this is natural. Of course I should be running a show. I was an executive producer by the time I was 24 at um, WCAU in Philly. However, I did, I do remember being in bigger meetings at the stations and with, in, in the case of CAU, we were a CBS owned and operated stations. So I remember being in CBS meetings where I was one of the only women. Yeah. And so I, and so I had two strikes against me. I had, I had being female in youth. Right. Because there was a little bit of, well, number one, you're a woman. And number two, you're so young. Right. Really? We're going to listen to you. And it's like, hello, I'm running your daytime show. Yeah, you should listen to me. But in the larger context, it was often difficult. Um, it's funny. Now, I it never really tends to swing the other way. Right. We favor the youth. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. I mean, exactly. But it was interesting, um, especially with the decisions that you have to make with live daily television. You are making decisions that could put a station's license um, at risk at any moment, especially when you're doing. Um, the, the first three shows I did were all light kind of morning daytime talk, but the Jane Whitney show is issue oriented, kind of a local Donahue. Yeah. Um, and so we did some pretty, um, edgy things. Um, that's interesting, but I would say, you know, my next big break was entering the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. And that was really Bruno Cohen at Buena Vista television at the time. Bruno hired me when he was building his team at uh, Buena Vista. When I entered Did this you from, from where you were EPing in, in, in local syndication. Yes. From Sam, um, yeah, he, well, at that point I had gone back to 44 blue for a nanosecond. Um, we had started 44 blue. Um, I had left Cron. I was pregnant with our first, our oldest son. Um, I was working at 44 blue and, uh, Disney was looking to build up their first run syndication division. And they specifically wanted people who had worked at local stations yeah. who knew how to communicate to station managers and general managers in that culture. Yeah. And so that's what got me into the studio system that's in LA was, Oh, you are somebody who's worked at four stations. We right. could use you because right. we have to figure out how to get people to buy Regis and Kathy Lee. That's right. That you, was, you speak that their language, through. right? You speak their language. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I would say when I hit the entertainment industry in Los Angeles is where I found probably more challenges about being female, where there were fewer rooms where there were women. I was, again, very often the only and most senior woman in the room. That's so interesting. Um, And actually got told by one boss, I won't name who, but um, 
uh, in a merger. Um, there was a merger. I went through five of them. Um, there was a merger, and in the merger, I was I was a vice president at the time, and my boss that had hired me had said at the end of your contract, your three-year deal, um, you'll be positioned to be a senior vice president. And, you know, assuming everything goes well, that's the next step. So I had a great three-year run, um, poised to be that SVP. There was a merger, a new management team came in, and all of a sudden I saw new people starting to join, you know, from, from the merger company, sure. plus some brand new faces, but people with SVP in front of their title. And I'm like, hmm, there, how many SVPs can a division have? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, by the way, both of them men. And um, meanwhile, I'm sitting there. I was like, hmm, this doesn't look good. These tea leaves don't read well. And um, I went to them and said, so, you know, they wanted me to sign again to re-up. And I was like, great. Uh, absolutely. I'm really excited about the new structure and the new, you know, horizons ahead. Um, but, you know, I want to be moved up to SVP. And I got told that because, quote, because you are a mother, we cannot promote you because, you know, we need 100% or 110% of your uh, attention. And as a mother, you, there's no way you could be giving that. So we won't be able to promote you. And I was stunned. I literally sat there going, I can't believe someone's saying this to me in, I won't say which year. Um, uh, but I was it wasn't stunned. the 1800s. And, let's put it that way. <laughs> there you go. Right. And at the time, the only thing I had the presence of mind to say was, um, you know, they, they say um, actions speak louder than words, but in this case, your words are saying everything to me. Yeah. And I know that these things get said behind closed doors, but I am stunned that you're saying it out loud to me, but I'm actually glad because now I know um, you stand. Yeah. how you really, yeah, how you really feel. Yeah. And so thank you, but no, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely been some female stuff, but I typically, I just go like, you know, I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to power through it. My work speaks for itself. Yeah, that's right. I always look at it as like, you know, it worked out and I'm where I am and happy to be where I am. And right. all of those experiences made me stronger, hopefully, and hopefully wiser. And, you know, um, and, you know, you just have to, you have to have resilience, I think, okay. to, um, to power through. So resilience is an important quality. How do you think things have changed for women in, in particularly in unscripted and reality? Like, how do you think things, especially, you know, in this moment we're in where, you know, Me Too has happened and some other things have happened. Like, what do you think is sort of, what do you think the issues are today for women who are in in this business? You know, they've obviously changed somewhat, but, you know, some things have probably remained more the same than they should. I, you know, I don't know. It's a great question. I'm, it's funny. I'm not in the studio system anymore, so, so I'm not part of that ecosystem anymore. Um, but I think... I think things have definitely gotten better. I think unscripted is always seems to have always offered offered quite a bit of opportunity to women. There's a lot of female showrunners. I think I think if you laid unscripted against the traditional statistics of scripted and film, and oh my gosh, only X percent are done by women or showrun by women. I've always maintained that unscripted I think has a healthier percentage of women in um, roles of authority and power and influence at the table. Yeah. Um, it's just been a path that I think has opened more doors. I think what, what I still love to see is more women pitching original content and running companies yeah. as, opposed to, as opposed to being work for hire showrunners. I think women, we, we typically are really good at going, oh, uh, I'd like to be interviewed for that position, but not all women feel confident to like take the leap out on their own to like start something on their own and do something. I mean, by the way, what you've done, it, it is hard and it is daunting and, um, for sure. And it requires, you know, so much, I mean, it's, you're working without a net That's when right. you launch right. a company or, um, you know, try to pitch your own content and, um, because you still have to put food on the table, you know what I mean? You still have to pay your bills. So, you have to have that balance yeah. for you to become an entrepreneur and have like the paycheck coming in to allow you to play the entrepreneur game over here until it takes off. Yeah. But I think, I think it's gotten better. I think when you look across our industry and see the number of women who are in positions of um, influence across the networks, the buyers, the streamers and production companies, it is really impressive. Um, now I think it's about bringing more people to the table, more people of color, people from underrepresented communities, people who traditionally haven't had those roles, um, so that we get even more um, 
uh, you know, even more diversity of voices around the table, um, creating and making things. Um, so I think it's gotten better. You guys are very committed to that, right? So I know you and I have talked about the ways in which you guys try to source diverse teams and diverse talent, you know, um, you know, tell us a little bit about that, about how you guys have tried to implement some things to make that, uh, to make that commitment. Well, we just, I think Rosh and I noticed, you know, over the years, what, what tends to happen in our industry is, you know, you, you launch a show, great. Now you're staffing, you know, you, you interview showrunners, you find the best showrunner, like great, we're excited. You bring the showrunner in and then there's, um, a dynamic that happens where a showrunner often go like, great, I'm going to bring my team. Yeah. But but whenever we did a show that was hosted by or led by or was about people of color, we always went to great lengths to make sure that our staff and our crew um, looked like and reflected the, 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 the people whose stories we were telling. Yeah. But we were like, well, why do we only do that when it's a show like that? We should be doing that across every show, yeah. not just the shows that, let's say, are about a community or a group of people or a particular person who's of color. So back in like 2018 or 19 is when we really started to go like, okay, what do we, we need to be more deliberate about this. We need to take the great experiences we're having when we're doing shows like the TD Jake show, um, you know, where we have this amazing diverse staff. We need to take that experience into our other shows. Yeah. And so we did our very first um, diversity and inclusion workshop for the company um, with a focus on, con- on unconscious bias, we did it with um, Latasha Gillespie, who's the head of global, um, you, you know, Latasha from Amazon. Yeah. And she did it. Um, um, she was a guest speaker. She put together the most amazing program for us. And um, it was eye opening. Um, and it really gave she gave us a lot of tools and resources and just kind of new ways of thinking how we staff. Then um, about that same time, I think it was the same year, um, Rasha and I got a call from John Murray and Chris Abrego. Um, They had a vision for launching an internship program through the TV Academy, focused on unscripted, but for those young people whose parents did not have the resources to send them to Emerson, to Syracuse, to BU, um, to NYU. Instead, and, and to, and to support who, them as they worked for no money, right? Uh, uh, exactly, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so the vision that John and Chris had was to start here in LA in our backyard and create a pipeline program for young people who were going to the community colleges, the Cal States, who um, you know were kind of quote, sleeping in their own beds at night. They weren't in a dorm situation across yep. the country. They maybe had to work during the day. Those were the young people in our very backyard who weren't getting opportunities to get into our business. So they approached Rosh and me, asked if we were interested in coming on board as founding donors to the foundation, uh, the foundation's program. So we we did. We were like, oh, my God, we're actually looking for an opportunity like this. We were in the middle of trying to figure out our own way of doing it. Um, and this was just like, oh, this is great. Partner with the Academy? Yeah. Yes. Where do we sign? So we joined. And then um, Jim Berger came on board. And then I think last year, um, Randy and Fenton, I think, came on board from World of Wonder yeah. as well. Um, and so that internship program has really helped create a brand new pipeline uh, program at 44 Blue, um, where each summer we get an intern through that program from an underrepresented community. And we now in turn have created two programs within our company for them to continue on with us after the internship. That's great. One is an apprenticeship program in post inspired by Ricardo Handy's program. He, you know, started his program um, at the AE level. Right. Ours is at the post PA level. And then we started, um, or we really just um, embellished our um, production assistant program that Mark Hamaguchi runs. So Mark runs the PA program. Gina Beckinsall runs the post program. And we now offer our academy interns an opportunity to continue for another eight to 12 weeks if they'd like to, only if they'd like to right. in either one of those programs. That's so that's really helped. And then using the wide range of resources that have now surfaced from, you know, Ricarlo's, um, um, program, your, you know, hustle up, um, um, the array, Ava DuVernay's array program, just all of them. And we now tell our showrunners, um, you know, when they come on board that this, our goal or part of when snap right before they shuttered their, um, originals yeah. snap launched an initiative to be 50%, um, 
behind the camera and in front of the camera, people from underrepresented communities, we signed on with that pledge. That's 40 for Blue's goal yeah. is that every staff is at least 50% of people from underrepresented communities with a particular emphasis right now on women and people of color. Um, it's our goal. We measure it. We hold ourselves accountable. We measure it every month to see how we're doing across the company, corporately awesome. and across each show. You know, there are times when we don't do as well as we wish we were doing. And then there are times where we're like, oh my God, yes, we're doing great if we can sustain this. Yep. So that's how we're doing it. And just trying to hold ourselves accountable and create those opportunities. That's amazing. I, what, what kind of advice do you give to young people who are coming into the business? Or what kind of advice would you give them, right? Those young college graduates who are trying to figure out, like, what, how do I generate my my big break, like my moment. Right. I think you have to be proactive. I think um, nothing's going to come to you. You have to uh, lean forward um, and you have to make it happen. You have to have an insatiable appetite, I think, for information about whatever area of the industry you're passionate about. If you're passionate about gaming, if you're passionate about unscripted, if you're passionate about late night talk, if you're passionate about, you know, a half hour comedy scripted, know everything about that lane or those lanes, you know, know who's making the content that you love, know who everybody's talking about, know who's got a new show on the air, learn about the internship programs, the apprenticeship programs, learn about all the different pathways and reach out and, and, and don't be afraid to make contact with people. You're probably not going to hear from 90% of them. You may not get a response, but all it takes is one or two. For sure. And Again, someone, someone very wise once told us everything leads to something Yep. and you never know. And that means even like talking to, you know, talking to the person next to you in line. That's I right. mean, That's right. you know, I've made some of the most amazing friendships and contacts over, you know, kind of being stuck in line or. Well, in a system, you know, we're both... with each other, right. And help each other because they're stuck oh, the next to each other. Right. And yes. And creating those networks and, and reaching out and offering to meet somebody for a drink or go out to lunch with them and learn about their job, being curious, right. Right. um, curiosity, um, as you know, Brian Grazer's book about curiosity, I always tell everybody they should read. It's a great yeah. book. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, curiosity, doesn't cost anything. It doesn't matter what zip code you were born in. Doesn't matter what school you went to, who your parents were, what right. they did for a living. Curiosity, like like, transcends all. And if you have that, that can take you like you know to the, to the stars sure. and back. So and and, yeah. and know about the person you're reaching out to too, right? Like, don't reach out to somebody and not know anything about who they are, or what they do, and then make the mistake of like saying the wrong thing or, or, or just, you know, misunderstanding their role or whatever else, right? Like do your homework and always yes, take the meeting, that is always take the meeting, but do your homework. <laughs> but do your, but you're right. How many times, and I bet this has happened to you. How many times has your name been spelled wrong? Yep. Or they, or they have the wrong company. Yep. You know, Dear H, I'd love to work with you at, yeah. you know, yeah. CBS. Right. And you're like, okay, hello, cut and paste. Yeah. Um, we have a really difficult last name to spell. So that's always the first test. <laughs> that is if you spell test. check to, to get our name right and our company right. That's right. Don't tell me you want to work at blue 44. Yeah. We're 44 blue. You know? It's not hard to find. And, it's, and not, it's not hard to find. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And if you are going in for the interview, part of doing the homework too is, is understanding what content those people have done. That's right. Nothing blows anybody away better than going to, than interviewing somebody and having them say, Oh my gosh, I love this show that you do. And Oh, I saw such and such episode of that show. Gee, I'm curious how this, how such and such show came about. We all, we all love to be flattered, right? And go like, Oh, this person really watches our show. Now, by the way, maybe they just watched the night before, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because they did the homework as opposed to and it helps that person too, because, you know, and I've been the person who watched the night before because it's not necessarily a show that I've, you know, I've, I've, exactly. I've taken in yet. But what it does is, is then when you can have that conversation the next day in the meeting, it also tells you a lot about who that person is, the way they talk about the content they've made and the team that helped them make it and their passion for that subject matter. If you're, if you're looking to understand more about that executive or that company, it can, it can actually help you learn a lot. Absolutely. Right? You know, there's a question that I like to ask in interviews, which is, so tell me what you know about 44 Blue. Right. Yep. And so by asking that, I learn what they know about us 
and what they're curious about. And you know what? If they don't know much about it, it's a much shorter interview. Right. Because right. I know that I spend sports. a lot of my time. <laughs> you know, if all they know, because if their response is like, well, actually, I don't know much. Well, can you tell me about it? Then I'm instantly like, okay, then why am I spending my time with you? Right. Why do you want to work for us? Right. You know, we right. haven't even done your homework. So no, I think that's great advice, Age. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. And, and I mean, I think, you know, you guys have also partnered with great talent, right? Both both behind the camera mm. and on camera from, you know, Mark Wahlberg and Dick Wolf and mm-hmm. the Kardashians. You know, how important is it to find talent like that to help you package and sell shows? And what's it like to kind of, you know, how do you... You know, I'm sure some of it is them coming to you because you're an amazing production company. But also when you say like, this is the perfect project to work with so-and-so on, like how do you kind of, how do you make those relationships happen? Like what, what is the sort of process for you guys? Well, uh, again, a lot of it comes back to curiosity mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the world is like so big and vast. There's so much to consume now in terms of media and entertainment. You can't expect everybody to know everything, right? But to at least have on your team a wide range of interests and tastes and demographics on your team so you know you've got TikTok covered you know you've got broadcast television covered somebody's watching you know those shows um somebody's reading you know wired and fast company and buzzfeed and somebody else is reading like super esoteric stuff and so really it comes from curiosity and then um not being afraid to reach out you know, not being afraid to like pick up the phone or send a cold email. I mean, a lot of it's obviously now through agents and managers, but still not being afraid to go, hey, um, by the way, that's how Wahlburgers came about. You know, we happened to see an interview. Um, Mark was doing an interview, he was on a talk show and whoever it was, Kimmel, whoever it was, I was asking about, you know, what he's doing. And, and he's like, hey, I'm not the talented one. The talented one is my brother, Paul, who just opened you know, his, uh, or has his fine dining restaurant in Boston. He's a classically trained chef and he's about to open his, his childhood dream, a burger restaurant. Yeah. And it's called Wahlburgers. And literally I'm like, oh? I was like, <laughs> well, okay. Obviously they have a sense of humor about themselves because they're calling it Wahlburgers. I wonder if there's a family doc in that. And so that led us to pick up the phone to Amir Shakalili at WME and say, Hey, do you know by any chance who reps Mark Wahlberg? And he's like, yeah, it's us. It was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you think they'd want to do a family doc? And Amir was like, uh, who knows? Let me walk down the hall and find out, you know, and that led to, you know, Ari and Ari getting Mark and Mark saying, well, who's 44 blue. Oh my God. Lock up. I love lock up. Put me on the phone with them. And Rasha goes to meet with them and the rest is history 10 yeah. seasons later. So it's like being not afraid, but to your point, being prepared, right. you have to be just, you have to be prepared because if you are going to approach Chloe Grace Moretz or Whoopi Goldberg or you know any number of our partners, Adam Scott or um, Mary J. Blige, you have to have done your homework and know why you're going to them. If, let's say if you're approaching them, why you think this is a good fit for them, right? Because you've done your homework. It's not just like, oh, gee, Mary J., we'd always love to be in business with you. How about the show? It's like, oh no. We actually know you have an interest in this, how the partnership with Khloe Kardashian came about. We were, you know, true crime was starting to take off again. We were developing in that lane. Um, One of our awesome development executives at the time, Melanie Bowman, shout out to Melanie. Um, Melanie had this title in her head and this concept in her head. She had been following Khloe. She was, you know, one of her gazillion followers on social. Saw that Chloe used to post about true crime shows. She used to watch those ID shows and she, you know, she'd post about them. And Melanie came down the hall and said, I have an idea. Let's put Twisted Sisters with Khloe Kardashian. Do you think she'd ever want to produce? And I was like, I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah. So calling out to Lance Klein, you know, Amir and Lance, has Chloe ever produced? Would she want to produce? This is in true crime. We have an idea that we think could fit. Um, the next thing you know, we're on the phone with her. We're pitching her the idea. And she's like, I'm in. She ended up pitching it back to us practically. That's how well she knows wow. the genre. That's amazing. Um, you have like, again, a celebrity partner that actually like, you know, brings expertise and ideas and makes the project better. That's like the dream, right? Oh, it's the best. Chloe Grace Moretz came in for a general meeting with her mom and brother, um, with Terry and, and Trevor. We were talking about, you know, they were interested in exploring the unscripted space. They'd already developed a couple things in, in the genre. 
we were you know kind of trading ideas back and forth. We'd done our research on her and her family and knew about, you know, knew what we knew about them. And she started to share the story about how, you know, when her big brother Trevor came out, this is how the impact on the family and then her other brother. And so she has two brothers who came out. And so her friends started to come to her and ask like, Chloe, could you help me? Because, you know, I, 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 I haven't come out yet to my grandmother or, you know, right. I, I'm not sure how my, you know, my brother is going to take it. And your family is just so amazing. And has really figured out, like figured this out. Can you help me? And so we were like, going, going, we have a show that we came up with in 2014 called coming out. We've never been able to find a home for it. Chloe, would you like to see the sizzle? We show her the sizzle. She's on. We end up ultimately, we sold it a couple times, but we ended up ultimately getting to make that series for snap and Jill Dickerson at snap. That's great. And it turned out to be the perfect place for it um, as part of their big pride initiative. And that was Chloe. And it was her passion and her brother's passion and mom's passion to tell those stories about coming out stories that have happy endings, that have good endings, that show that, um, and again, give voice to some young people who haven't had a voice. So that was how that one came about. And, and then, of course, Jill has now joined you guys at 44 Blue, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so big things come out of uh, out of these relationships. Right? Out of short form sometimes. That's exactly. Right, that's right. Big things out of short form. Now, we've been talking about 44 Blue being an independent production company. But a few years ago, you sold a stake to Red Arrow. And now I believe you're part of Peter Chernin's North Road. Tell us a little bit about what the benefits are of becoming part of a bigger a, a, a bigger company, right? And mm-hmm. then, of course, what do you miss about being completely independent? Because there's trade-offs, right? Sure, sure. Um, no, it's been really a wonderful experience. I mean, the Red Arrow, the trend, um, you know, being able to join the Red Arrow company back in 2016 was, you know, transformational. They were an amazing company. Um, Jan Frauman, uh, James Baker, Michael Schmidt, that whole group were just real creative visionaries. And Jan's vision for that group was a really exciting vision. You know, we each kind of had our superpowers. Nobody really bumped into each other amongst right. the U.S. companies. You don't have to compete with each other. You great. can compete with, with what's out there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, we, but, and we could also collaborate. So we had some great collaborations with um, uh, sister companies in the U.K., um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of where else. Mainly UK, uh, um, Scandinavia. We we collaborated with. Um, so that was really a very um, positive and um, um, I don't know, just kind of empowering chapter. And then um, with Chernin, I think it's even more exciting now because he's stateside and is just himself such a legend and visionary. Right. Um, has such great optimism about the business, about the industry. Um, I think has a really exciting vision for the group, for the North Road Company. Um, you'll have to do a, a separate interview with him or one of his folks to, yeah. to hear about that. But, you know, we just feel like we're in really great company with Kinetic, with um, Left Right, um, uh, Half Yard, um, Dorsey, and then Connor Shell's Words and Pictures, and obviously the original Trinan Entertainment, which is now under North Road. So it definitely, what's great is you, you just get, um, you get like a one plus one equals three, Yeah. you know, in, 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 when, when you get to be part of a group like this, um, big thinking, you know, kind of a push to think bigger. Yeah. And that's exciting because I think sometimes when you do run your own company, you can have big visions and grand designs, but then you also get easily not distracted, but, but focused on the day to day. Sure. And so sometimes you're, you know, you're so focused on the day to day and getting renewals on these series and getting the next one sold that you sometimes don't get to spend time on some of those bigger right. moonshot ideas. That's right. Somebody's got to bring the water to set. Go, go, go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think what's exciting about Peter and his vision is he's really pushing each of us to think really big and very entrepreneurially and very, um, you know, it's just an exciting time. So yeah, we're super stoked to be part of it. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like one of the reasons I chose to launch my my independent production company with all three was you just get the benefit of a lot of resources, right? You get sort of that global structure in terms of yeah. rights and IP, and then you get that infrastructure of business affairs and legal and some of those other things that at a larger company will be in theory more robust and hopefully more cost effective than when you're trying right. to build it all from scratch. And you know, I think I think uh, the the trade off, of course, is that then uh, you are part of a strategy that's being set by by you know a larger entity and so forth. And I'm curious, like, was there a lot of 
sort of collaboration as you guys joined North Road around how you were plotting out your your one year vision, mid midterm mm-hmm. vision, five year vision, you know, all, yeah. all of that. Well, I think what's great, Red Arrow is this way, and Peter has been the same as they both have said to us, it's like we're we're acquiring you because of what you guys do, and That's you're great. all really, really you're already really great at what you do. We don't want to mess with your day-to-day business because yeah. that's why we acquired you is that you guys are good at it yeah. and you, you know, you have your vision. So really it's been more about how do we plus it? That's great. And um, I'd say, you know, like, what are the negatives? Yeah. A negative might be that, I mean, that's just, I, I can't think of, we've never had our hands tied about something that we've wanted to do yeah. by either by Red Arrow and certainly so far not by, um, by North Road. It's really more pushing us to think bigger. I think. Um, you know, when you are totally independent and on your own, yes, it comes without like, oh, I'm independent. I can do whatever I want. What I, what we've loved about being part of Red Arrow and what we're looking forward to with North Road is, are those additional resources, the, the extra sort of thought capital, yeah. the thinking, you know, the, the, that extra brain that is like, oh my God, I never thought of that. That's, right. a, that's a brilliant way of thinking of whatever the situation is. Also the access to international in, in, you know, Intel and formats and those relationships, I think those right. are really important that are much harder to do when you're an independent, a sole independent. Even, even with a great harder. agent, it's much harder, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's much harder. So I have to say there hasn't been, you know, when you work with a bigger entity, yeah, you're doing more, you know, the financial reporting and all that stuff, you know, you have to like change your accounting stuff and all that, but that's more back of the house stuff. Certainly front of the house, it's been, definitely a positive. I had to learn how to read an Excel spreadsheet. That was, that was not easy. <laughs> what is this called? I never knew about that. <laughs> right. I, I never know like you disable the macros or enable the macros. Right, that right. Little thing that always comes up. I'm not an Excel girl. I have no idea. I'm always like, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing uh, your stories today of your big break and, and your career and everything else. You've produced such a wide range of content for so many buyers. Thank you, H, and congratulations on what you're building. It's really impressive. Another female CEO. Woo! I love it. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Please join us for future episodes featuring production company CEOs, producers, writers, and more. Our theme music for this episode was composed by Hustle Up member Lewis Robert King, and we'll be featuring different themes from other Hustle Up composers in future episodes. If you like what you hear, please let us know. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Stephanie.